News Radio 949 890 KDXU. KDXU News Time 909. Welcome. I'm Craig Bennett sitting in for Andy Griffin. Coming up next, Andy actually uh, in his weekly interview with Brian Hyde. And here it is. Good morning, everybody. This is News Radio 949 KDXU. I'm here with, uh, well, we've got uh, Brian Hyde as our usual Monday guest. Brian, thank you for, uh, thank you for coming today. Hey, happy to do it as always. Did you uh, you got anything going special in your pit barrel cooker before we get rolling? I, I... as a matter of fact, yes. I really, uh, grind up and smoked a bunch of pork roasts this weekend. Ooh-wee. The idea being that, of course, you know, some are going to be eaten immediately, but there's also going to be leftovers, maybe even a little something for the freezer. Although I don't think a whole lot's going to make it to the freezer. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. You know, we get we get teased about our love for cooked meat, but you know there are worse things. We could be eating donuts or something, right? <laughs> sure. Well, you know, I got nothing against donuts either. <laughs> my waistline would tell you that at a glance. <laughs> oh wow! Well, tell me kind of what's going on in your world as far as the, the politics. Last week you had a pretty lively discussion about masks. I, I still kind of walk around shaking my head. Can't believe you went to church without a mask. That's that's pretty amazing to me. Isn't that a terribly <laughs> subversive thing? Oh, and you're so evil. Um, you know, it's but, but for me it really is a matter of conscience. And if somebody else's conscience is telling them, hey, wear the mask, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to try to talk them out of it. But... I just look around at the, the grandest scheme of all the stuff that's coming down right now, and the masks to me seem like uh, uh, almost a forced symbol of obedience. And I know most people would rather not wear them, but I think they're, they're more afraid of being seen as, as disobedient or antisocial or you know, not being with the program than they are of you know, the, the consequences of, of just saying, I, I'm not going to do that. If you don't mind, and maybe you will mind, you don't want to talk about this, but uh, you and I belong to a religion uh, with a couple of things in play. First of all, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, religiously very much about free agency and freedom and, and making the right choices. I mean, that the whole point of the what they call what we call the plan of salvation is to come down to earth and exercise your free agency and see if you'll pass the test. By the same token, obedience is revered in our church. Uh, obedience to the, to the commandments, to the you know the different uh, things that come down from the leaders of the church, and so it's almost like there's this this dual thing going on. And I guess in my mind, I'm like, how do we resolve that in our heads that we're you know free agency is is paramount, but obedience is too. I I guess I would try it this way, and and I say this with the full understanding. I could be dead wrong on this, but. The kind of obedience that we're talking about that's consistent with a person exercising free will and exercising their choice means that they have to freely choose. That means they have to have the option of saying no to, to something like the, the mask mandate. And, and I, I don't even know, you know, I'm, I almost hate to talk about the mask mandate in the same concept of, you know, and uh, that's, that's a matter of your eternal salvation. I don't think that it is. I don't think that uh, <laughs> someone who dies and goes to heaven, you know, that uh, St. Peter's going to be a kind of, so, uh, did you wear the mask? No? Okay. You're in that line. Get up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think, a little warmer. I don't think it's really that important, but I think if you want to be, let's just say among a virtuous people, a people who don't murder each other, who don't abuse substances and poison, you know, their minds with, with alcohol or drugs or pornography or things like that, they need to choose that on their own. It can't be because someone has a gun stuck in their ribs saying, no, you're not going to do this, are you? Or I'm going to punish you if you do that. Um, there are consequences when people choose wrong. 
and they have to own those consequences. But I think to, to be a good person, you have to be free to make the choice to be wrong. Mm. Then he, does that make sense? It, it kind of does, because then I start thinking about places like China and you know Venezuela and, and some of those places that are you're forced to be uh, compliant. And then I go, oh, hey, wait a minute. Wasn't that part of the, that plan of salvation that we were talking about, too, where the one, one, one part of the plan that was rejected was forcing to be compliant? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to live in a virtuous society, but I want to live in a society that's actually virtuous because people have chosen that that's the way that they want to live, not because they're afraid, if I don't do this, I'm going to get punished. And, and I, I just apply that to pretty much every decision. There's only two ways you can really deal with people in your life. You can either coerce them or you can persuade them. I think God's way is that of persuasion. And I think coercion is the other guy's way. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, is there a fine line between coercion and persuasion? I, I, you know, I, I think back of, when I was dating my wife, she was very young. She was 18 when we were dating. I wanted to get married. And her parents said, no way, you can't marry our daughter. She's only 18. And, and so my wife, of course, was like, well, I probably shouldn't do it because my parents don't want to get me to get married this young. And so I used every power of persuasion and maybe even a little teeny bit of coercion. And I did finally get her to marry me despite her parents not wanting us to do it. So there can be a little bit of a fine line, right? Well, I think the, the peer pressure that we feel and that, that need to be accepted can be a very powerful influence. I mean, gosh, I felt that in church, you know, when I went in on Sunday, because um, it wasn't that people were angry with me, and it wasn't like anybody was sitting there scolding me with their eyes, but I could see the concern in their eyes, and, you know, the bishop sitting up there at the front. I <laughs> see his hair start to go gray, even as I'm watching, as he's like, oh, boy, we got a non-masker in our midst. But they did not overtly coerce me. And they were very kind after church to, to visit with me and to, to socialize outside of the building. And, and I'm grateful for that because I'm sure a lot of them really didn't understand. I had uh, a recent funeral in my family, and it was interesting, the, the officiators at the funeral. I was, I was actually going to, to, to speak at the funeral, and the officiators had masks on. And yet, when I went up onto the stage, I got a, a kind of a man hug from both of them. <laughs> and so I was kind of like, well, now wait a minute, we're, we're wearing the mask because we have to, or... You know, and I wasn't wearing a mask at the time, so I, the whole thing was a little bit weird. Well, it's. I, I think we have a great opportunity right now in our lives generally to, to reevaluate how do I treat other people. Do I look at them as an object to bend to my will and make them do what I think they should be doing, or do I treat them as a living, breathing, thinking person who can make their own decisions even if I don't agree with them? Now, the only exception that I would say that, that comes into play here is that the person's behavior is violent, Mm. then they forfeit the right when they, at the point that they start to infringe on other people's rights, you know, either to safety or peace of mind. But the act of, you know, for instance, not going along with the mask mandate is not a violent act unless we're going to pretend every person around us is sick and, and treat them like they're some kind of a separating leper. One of the things that bugs me, Brian, and whether I, whether you agree with Brian or not on this, this has got to bug you if you're if you're an American who believes in freedom, and that's snitch lines. The NBA, oh, yeah. the NBA has sequestered in Orlando the entire league that that has been invited is there, and they actually set up a hotline for players to report on one another if somebody goes out of the bubble. 
people that they've created. Uh, and we've heard tale from different uh, areas around the, around the country that, hey, here's a hotline you can call if you see someone, oh, I don't know, not wearing a mask or you see someone not social distancing. And I even had the mayor here in St. George say they, they were getting calls from people uh, out on our trails and uh, they were they were reporting people who were too close together on the trails, and I, I could not believe it. I'm like, is this America really? It's it's what fear does, and and you know to, to take this back to the idea of you know are there is there an eternal perspective that you can look at this? I would say yes, and from the standpoint of uh, which of those sides of light versus dark or good versus evil, which one of them? uses fear as a prime motivator. It's not the light. It's not the goodness that, that uses fear. It's, it's that darkness that uses it to, to blind and confuse people. Yeah, boy, what a great point. And, and that, that, shouldn't be, that shouldn't be a part of your life. Now, I had someone else say, well, yeah, but did you spank your children? I said, well, when, when necessary and very rarely, but occasionally, yes, I spanked my children. And they said, well, weren't you using fear as a motivator in that case? Yeah, and guilty, you know, guilty is charged. Yeah. There's times where, where that was the only way to get through, you know, that, look, this, this is serious enough that a correction has to be applied. Now, I have to tell you, with six kids, I eventually outgrew the spanking stage, and yeah. I decided, all right, it stops with me. My parents didn't spare the rod, but uh, there, are, there are better ways. And it took me my first couple of kids. Sorry, kids, you, you got the brunt <laughs> of my mistakes. But the, the later kids, you know, they, they had a little bit easier time. But there are times, because kids are not fully developed and they're not fully responsible for themselves, we don't uh, imbue them with the same level of natural rights and recognition of those rights that we would with an adult. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm citing John Locke from one of his treatises on civil government here. I think that's a pretty good standard. There's an age of accountability where kids can make more of their own decisions, but uh, there are times when they have to be corrected, not because, you know, they're property or they're the dog that you want to kick around because you're frustrated, but just because they don't know better, and someone in responsibility has to be there to, to help catch them. Yeah, I told the story on the air last week, but I'll tell it again. I have, when, when my oldest was a baby, he was maybe two years old, so he was a toddler, we lived on Main Street in Logan, Utah, and at one point he got away after we were getting out of the car, he got away and ran into the street. Well, fortunately, you know, everybody saw him. He didn't get hit, but I grabbed him and I swatted him, swatted him on the behind. And the thing is, is, you know, say, well, why did you spank your child? You're teaching him that violence is the answer. And I said, my answer is no, I was teaching him that he will die if he, he could die if he runs into the street again on Main Street in Logan. And the best way to convey to him was to hurry and give him a swat on the bottom, make him understand that the consequence uh, for running out in the street, he doesn't understand that he might die. He does understand that his bottom hurt right after it happened, and he doesn't want to do that again. Yep. I mean, I, my oldest my oldest sister is probably one of the kindest, gentlest people ever when it comes to raising kids, and and she would not give a spanking unless it was absolutely necessary. Well, her granddaughter took off and, and ran for the street one time when she was, you know, four years old or so, and would not stop. And, and there was just absolute panic as my sister's yelling, stop, stop, stop. Well, she got her stopped, and, and my kids still laugh about it. You know, their, their aunt, you know, going over and, and putting the swat on this little girl's behind and just <laughs> telling her, you know, this is Rod listening to me, because she was scared that the kid was, was likely to die. And I, I realize not every parent is going to agree with that, but 
but it, it was a matter of life and death, and sometimes that's, that's the way to get the attention. I, I don't think it's the solver of every problem, but it, uh, there's times when it's appropriate. And then some of the some of the spankings I caught as a kid were entirely appropriate. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I got smacked upside the head a couple of times, and uh, looking back now, I probably should have gotten worse than that. <laughs> I mean, if you learned the lesson, then it, then it really worked. I mean, I think I think the last time that I ever you know caught any kind of corporal punishment was probably when I was about fifteen, and I was feeling cocky, and I mouthed off to my mom mm-hmm. once. Yeah. Once was all it took because my dad corrected me on that, and I went, you know, in uh, retrospect, this is probably not worth doing again. Um, uh, Brian, uh, just to change topics real quick, you and I are in the business of of, of words, of, of talking. Uh, I've had a few people recently on this show call and say, hey, all you guys ever do is talk. Why don't we do something about this? What, you know, what is it that that you guys should be doing. And, and, and those are the words that they say, well, hey, why aren't you out there voting? Why aren't you out there uh, creating committees and funds and petitions and, and things like that? And, you know, I kind of looked at that and I'm like, well, you know, I can give, I can be the platform to give some of these names, of, you know, you can do about things. The most recent one was changing uh, Dixie Regional into uh, Intermountain Healthcare St. George. And uh, they, they, you know, people wanted to know the phone number, the people they could call that they're unhappy about this. And I guess sometimes I feel like in our business, Brian, the business of talking, I kind of feel like sometimes that maybe we should be doing more or is what we're doing enough? No, talk is cheap. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for me to say since you and I both make our living you know, uh-huh. talking. Yeah. But then again, if they saw our paychecks, they'd go, wow, you're right. This really is cheap. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how you guys make it. True. But action definitely trumps mere talk. But uh, I think there, look, there, the problem that I see is that a lot of people look at action as well. I've got to take that action in the voting booth or it's got to be petitioning this government body or that. I would suggest that some of the biggest differences that we can make by action – involve just lifting the people around us. And I'm talking simple stuff. If you see a person today and you smile at them over the top of your mask and tell them hi, <laughs> you may be lifting them and encouraging them and not even realize, you know, that, that you're doing so. Um, the thing that's tough to do is learn to see the needs of people around us and then to reach out to them. And, and as you do that, you become better, a little more well-honed at spotting it. But little acts like that go a long way towards helping bring people to a higher level, towards uh, helping promote goodwill. And when the time comes that you need to speak out on something, whether it's, you know, the name change or, uh, or something else of importance, that's when people will listen to you because they've seen your actions, which speak even louder than your words, and they can say, we trust Andy. We've seen that uh, this is a guy whose, whose actions and words line up. Mm, I like that. I, we trust Andy. I think we're the, my favorite part of that one there. But uh, <laughs> oh, all right. So as, as we as we move forward here in this uh, crazy coronavirus time, uh, you know, we're talking, by the way, with Brian Hyde. LovingLiberty.net is his website. Uh, podcasts. Uh, incredible. How many do you have now out there, Brian? As far as uh, episodes or? Yeah. Uh, lots. Like Two hours a day, five days a week for the last couple of years. So thousands, literally thousands of episodes out there. You ever run out of things to talk about, Brian? No, that's the beauty of current events, and especially of late. There's there's no shortage of stuff to talk about. You're, You're right about that. And down here, of course, the hotbed things are masks in school. 
And by the way, there's a vote tonight uh, uh, by the school board on how to interpret the governor's edicts on how to wear on on who has to wear masks in school. Uh, it sounds like Brian that you know we were just talking about masks and you uh, you know not wearing one to church. It sounds like. Uh, there will be mandatory masks in school unless you have a medical note, a medical documented reason to not wear a mask in school. I don't know what they're doing up there where where you live right now, but uh, what would be what would be your answer to that as a parent if that were to happen to you? Um, this is a question that a lot of parents are actually asking themselves, and that is, you know, first of all, will my kid have to wear the mask? Um, I've got some bad news for those parents who, in good faith, are going to send their kids with masks. It's going to last for about uh, maybe a week or two, but there's going to come a point where the mask, they, they're really not going to matter. Their kids are going to fidget. They're going to adjust. They'll pull them down so their nose is sticking out, regardless of whatever the mandate is. I say this based on the experience. I just interviewed a teacher who just spent three weeks in the classroom last month and asked him, what was your experience like? And he said it was hard. I don't know if the kids learned anything because those masks create a barrier you know, to our communication, but he said they were really good for the first week. He said by the third week, nobody was social distancing. Nobody was wearing their masks correctly. And and that's just human nature. It's not that kids are stupid or that they're rebelling. They're kids. Boy, I'll tell you, just on a personal experience, I wore mine. Uh, I forget where we went. We went somewhere the other day, and I had to wear a mask. And, and I did willingly. But I've got to tell you, after about 10 minutes, I... You know, and I'm a grown man, you know, who, who who has normal, I don't have asthma or anything, normal breathing. After about 10 minutes, I was done. I was tired of breathing through that, that whatever it was, that material I was breathing through. So I, I'm with you on that one. I've kind of speculated the same thing, that the kids are going to do it at first, and after a while it's going to be like, nah, this ain't working. And uh, I, I just hope that we can come through this with some sanity still. Hi, good morning, everybody. News Radio 94.9, 890-KDXU. This is the Andy Griffin Show. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I'm honored to be in studio with Jimmy Keston. Jimmy wears a lot of hats. you this morning. How many hats are you wearing nowadays? I, to... I don't really count that we just kind of show up at the next one when my phone tells me to. <laughs> You've got it all mapped out on the phone nowadays, huh? Absolutely. You have to. I'm I, yeah. I'm, I'm good, but I ain't good enough to memorize all of it. I'm still hybrid on mine. I, I write things down on, on on spreadsheets and stuff. I have the calendar. My wife gets on my case all the time. Use your calendar. Use your calendar. But it's to me, it's I don't know. It's easier to have it visually represented on a piece of paper. Well, Andy, you're you know I love you like a brother, but if you're not in my <laughs> phone, you, even you don't exist. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I gotta yeah. be gotta be in the phone. Well, Jimmy, thanks for coming on today. Uh, interesting climate we're in right now. It, you know, if we talk national scene with President Trump and and the um, you know the the COVID nineteen, you know, how is he handling it? I can't believe. I mean, and I know polls polls are supposed to tell us about public feelings. Instead, they I think they shape public feelings sometimes, but polls right now are telling us that Joe Biden is winning and that Joe Biden, Americans believe Joe Biden would do a better job of handling a COVID-19 crisis than President Trump but, uh, would. And I, that boggles my mind, Jimmy. Well, it you know, I think in general, a lot of us uh, believe uh, certainly on the conservative side of the aisle, that polling for some time now has been more about shaping opinion than mm-hmm. finding out what opinion is. It also, uh, you know, in normal times, uh, uh, President Trump has underpolled, 
compared to even other Republicans because there is a percentage of people that uh, don't want to answer polls honestly where he's concerned. Um, plus, Republicans generally tend to be too busy to deal with uh, answering poll questions. Uh, mm-hmm. But this year, this year is uniquely different. You know, you have Joe Biden hiding in the basement reading off the, off the teleprompter every couple of days. He hasn't been out there campaigning. They've been doing a good job of shielding him from any questions when he has come out of the basement, hasn't taken any questions from the press, nothing off script, nothing off teleprompter, and he's still making a gaff a day. Yeah. And that's just reading it off a teleprompter. I think as we get a little closer to it and people start paying attention right now between COVID and it being July anyhow, uh, people just aren't focused on this. And with the issues uh, of this year, I don't really know how many people are thinking about the elections. So you probably There's a percent of those people in those polls, I believe, that are thinking of Joe Biden from, you know, a little more than a decade ago, mm-hmm. um, where when, Different he guy. Knew, when he knew what state he was in, yeah. that, that he knew Arizona was a state, <laughs> which apparently it's, it's now been demoted to a city in Joe's brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Arizona City, what state would that be in? The state of America? I, I a, a state of disarray if it's Joe Biden uh, uh, running State of things. confusion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We're joking around about it, but... Uh, can Joe Biden, could he possibly win without leaving his base? Would it change the whole face of the way you campaign? Well, we certainly will see. I think that um, the American people, as they get more focused on it, they will certainly expect that Joe Biden faces questions. You know, Chris Wallace uh, had an interesting quote, uh, I believe it was yesterday. Um, he did that interview with the president, and he said, you may like or dislike how President Trump answered questions, but the fact is that he sat there for an hour and answered questions, and Joe has not made himself available to anyone to do that. Um, At some point, people are going to expect that from uh, Vice President Biden. They're certainly going to expect a debate. Um, uh, that uh, and yeah. they're going to expect to be able to see if this guy can handle the job, and I think as that becomes more and more apparent that he has uh, lost a step, um, they're going to be concerned about handing over the government to people behind him that they don't know who they are. And make no mistake, if Joe Biden wins this election, he'll be a president in name only. That that was kind of, you led me into my next thought here. I don't know if you remember the movie from our youth called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, I, yeah, actually, I was, you know, that's after my time. <laughs> it's, it's, As no. opposed to before my time. Uh, yeah. And then there was another movie. Uh, but I, have, uh, I do week, remember it. Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. Remember Weekend at Bernie's. Now, now these guys got invited to the boss's, you know, beach house. You know, boss, obviously, a very rich guy. They show up there, and uh, I don't know if he had just died or he died while they were there, but their boss dies. Now, they don't want the fact that their boss died to ruin their weekend. And so they prop him up, and they make it kind of pretend like he's alive all weekend long in all these different scenarios so that they can have a good weekend. Well, I feel like the Democrat Party now is kind of propping up Joe Biden so that they can continue to have their leftist fun. What are your thoughts on well, that? Well, I mean, look, they're certainly covering for him. They're certainly protecting him. Um, the, his campaign is doing a good job of trying to manage every situation he might be in. Um, you know, I think that we do run the risk of overplaying our hand if we, uh, uh, you know, 
speak of him as just a flat babbling idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, his policies would, you know, destroy this country. Um, he certainly is not. Um, uh, I, d- I don't believe he's up to the task of being able to handle it. But I'm look. I'm more concerned with uh, um, who is running the show. I've listened to him advocate for things that even that that he never did when he was in right. the Senate. That he never even did when he was vice president. Um, as as much as uh, uh, he has been left of center, um, he's advocating for things that that are just insane. So, so the question is, Jimmy, is is he changing? Is he are his attitudes really going that extreme because he feels like it's his only chance to win, or is this completely out of his hands and people are are feeding him that information? Well, the, look, the Democrat Party has certainly been taken over by the far left wing of the party, uh, a radical segment of this party that is a, a advancing policies that um, that it is no exaggeration are straight out of the Marxist playbook, um, and these pol- and they are the ones who kind of run the party. And you know, it's interesting, uh, and I've been hearing it said by other political commentators that uh, normally you win a, a, a primary, you win a nomination by playing to your base, and then you move towards the center uh, when uh, it comes time for the general election. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, we've got two candidates running for president right now that are certainly never uh, uh, not playing by that playbook. Donald Trump said what he meant from the first day coming down the elevator. Right. Uh, he never varied on his message. He's never varied on what his vision is for America. And the thing that upset people you know, on the left the most is when he became president, he actually tried to govern like those promises meant something. Joe Biden moved to the left for uh, uh, the primary, but now that he's won their nomination, he's moving even further to the left. Um, Which is crazy. That just shows that he is not the one calling the shots. Um, Their their base in the Democrat Party will not let their candidates move to the center. And any indication, I read this morning, you know, there's been all this talk about John Kasich going to the Democrat uh, convention, the former governor from Ohio. Right. uh, I'm going to call him former Republican. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, the Democrat base is up in arms that they might let someone like John Kasich speak at their convention. Hmm. They're pushing back against having him endorse Joe Biden. And I'm looking at really? saying, gosh, I didn't realize John Kasich was, for, was in favor of partial birth abortion. I didn't realize hmm. he was in favor of... Uh, ending American energy production or massively increased taxes or this is a whole new set of policies for uh, Mr. Kasich and I guess George Well has joined the partial birth abortion paid oh for by the taxpayers uh, as part of what he calls so I would urge the media to stop calling these people Republicans who have adopted one of the most leftist uh, uh, anti-life anti-freedom anti-liberty uh, agendas possible and say they're going to vote for somebody who's endorsing those policies yeah let's let's talk for a minute about uh i i don't know that the average joe realized this uh, jimmy but uh, there was a pretty big cushion between candidates and public as far as uh everything was there everybody had a pr firm they had campaign managers they had you know there was a whole cabal of, of people between the candidate and the people and 
that has been torn away somewhat when you when you look at Twitter and you look at some of the things that that have happened with with President Trump for better or for worse that has been torn away and and in in some ways I'm looking you know I, I've always been a President Trump supporter voted for him uh, pr- happy that he's president happy that he tried to he's tried to fulfill every promise that he's made which when it comes to politics is a rare thing and he's uh, done a pretty decent job of uh, it yeah, quite yeah. frankly but at the same time he Every once in a while, he tweets something out, and I say every once in a while, once a week, it seems like. He tweets out something, and I'm like, why, President Trump? Why did you? Don't. Oh, you know, and, and I mean, they've torn away this public relations cushion, and there's someone else I want to talk about that has to do with that as well. But your thoughts on, on President Trump and having his, really, his, his individual access to the masses. I don't think anybody is filtering his Twitter. Well, and they don't. And, you know, this this president... Um, love him or hate him, apparently there's nothing in between that where right. President Trump is concerned, um, is uh, um, as about as unfiltered as uh, anyone we've ever seen in public office. Um, and his style, I am a huge supporter of this president, but look, there are moments that I cringe at what it, uh, uh, some of the things that... that Come out of his thumbs, I guess, yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing you have to do is make sure he's being quoted in context. But even once you re- determine that he is, there are some things that, that you know, just kind of go, oh, like you said, oh, why? But yeah. this is kind of what fighting back looks like. If you, uh, uh, um, if you slap President Trump, he is going to uh, hit you with, you know, a giant left hook. Yeah. You know, haymaker. He fights yeah. back ten times harder than you hit him. That's just who he is. And he has said, if he didn't, who would? And I guess that's true. Who? I mean, if he doesn't fight back, who's going to defend this guy? Because there's not even a lot of people on our side in the Republican Party that truly stand up and defend this president's policies. That's um, true. And, you know, when you look at what he's been called, I find it a little bit disingenuous. That when you look at the things that this man has been called, none of them true. Right. You know, starting with this uh, uh, idea that he's a bigot or a racist, um, uh, uh, which is, I mean, if I love the I love the meme on Facebook. If he's a racist, he's the worst one in history. <laughs> he's not very good at that. Yeah. But, um, if you were subjected to the kind of daily onslaught of lies about you, your family, your personal integrity, your wife, your kids, you Mm know, uh, maybe you would be less than congenial in your responses to. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. And and the thing that I like to point out, and I have a couple of relatives that are anti-Trump for whatever, they have varying reasons, but uh, I always come to them and I say, look, Whatever else you think, here's a guy that donates his entire salary to charity every year. Here's a guy who was arguably one of the best businessmen ever in history. He was a billionaire. He doesn't need this job. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't he doesn't need the fame. He has all that already. So why is he president? And I ask now, why do you think he's president? Oh, it's for the glory. And, the, and, the, and I'm like, no, really? It's, it's for the glory? You know, it's not. It's because he saw something in America that was slipping away, and he was trying to get it back. He had one of the most successful brands in his country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I love when people say, oh, yeah, but he inherited, he became a millionaire. He inherited 
uh, 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 millions from his dad. Well, he took those millions and turned it into billions. Yeah. Um, uh, um, you know, that is no easy feat. Uh, and um, that brand has forever uh, been uh, uh, affected by him stepping out of the private sector and serving his country as president. Um, he, you know, I wasn't a giant fan. I've never really watched his television show. I, I don't watch a whole lot of television. Right. But, um, you know, you got to admire somebody who was as successful as him. And for the rest of his life, there's going to be a, you know, 30 to 40 percent of this country that if his name is on anything, they ain't buying it. Right. And uh, uh, and they may be, for the rest of his life, trying to bite any store that carries a Donald Trump line of products. Um that's a big gamble he took. Uh, it yeah. wasn't about a gamble to him. He just felt that there was, and I take him at his word, he felt that this country was going in the wrong direction and needed a serious change in both domestic and foreign policy, and he did that because he, I, I do believe he loves this country. I, I think you're right. I think he loves it as much Enough as some of us sacrifice for yeah, it. Um, as much as some of us do, and probably more than... A lot of us do or, or should should do. Um, it was once said that there were men who were willing to sacrifice their honor and fortunes. That's right. For the American cause. And um, he has certainly uh, put his reputation or honor on the line. And he has certainly put his fortune on the line right. to do this. Right. Now, we, speaking of gambles, uh, we go back to Joe Biden and, and the fact that uh, he is now embracing some of these radical ideas, AOC's uh, Green New Deal, whatever it is that she plagiarized anyway, but uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, socialism agendas. These things are extreme to those of us that have been around for any amount of time. These things are very extreme. Uh, as he's starting to embrace this stuff, whether he's told to do it or whether he's doing it on his own, whatever the reason is, this seems like an incredibly huge gamble because you're – He's banking on uh, really, really extreme left-wing attitudes, Jimmy. Well, I think I, I think that primarily the the flaw in that is um, that Joe is in charge of this agenda. Um, the Democrat Party, which has been hijacked by the far left, the AOC, Bernie Sanders uh, wing of the party, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the the ideas of the squad, so to speak, um, they felt that they could not win on those policies with Bernie as the front man. Right. And so a decision was made that, uh, um, Joe, we're going to bring you across the line. You're going to be our nominee. These, And you're going to say what we want you to say. You're going to do what we want you to do. We're going to lay down your agenda for you. You read the teleprompter. You get to be president. You get to be in the history books as president of the United States. And he, of course, said, sure, I'll do that. It almost sounds like making a deal with the devil. Jimmy. Well, you know, um, um, making a deal with the Democrats, if you've read their agenda, is not that far from that. <laughs> All right, we've got to take a time out. Joe Shoney is a local loan consultant serving Southern Utah for more than 25 years. You go online to the online surveys, and I'm telling you, if you can get 4.9 stars, 4.91 stars out of 5, that's an incredible, incredible record. Let me read you a couple of reviews. Five stars from Robert H. and Enoch. He says, patience in work, uh, Joe had patience in working with us, promptness in answering our questions, ability to resolve problems. 
along the way. Let's scroll down to, uh, this is John in St. George. So Joe and his people we dealt with were very helpful and pleasant to deal with. They all made us feel as family and did everything they could to help us. All done with a smile. Many thanks. And one more. This is Cheryl and Perwin. Thank you all for working so hard to get my loan approved and closed. Joe Shoney, your local loan consultant that focuses on customer service. How do you get a hold of him? 435-590-6300 is a phone number. 435-590-6300. Or you can email Joe. It's joe.shoney, S-C-H-O-N-E-Y, at nafinc.com. Good morning and welcome back to the Andy Griffin Show here on News Radio 949 KDXU. I'm in today with Jimmy Keston. Jimmy, thanks again for coming in today. It's a pleasure to have you here, my friend. It's always great to be with you, Andy. Jimmy is, uh, he works at which bank now? I work for State Bank of Southern State Utah. State Bank of Southern Utah. Jimmy is also a pastor with the uh, Foursquare Gospel Church. Yeah. Solomon's Porch here in Sol- town. Solomon's Porch here in town. Jimmy is also the uh, chairman, right, mm-hmm. of the Washington County Republican Party. Does that that makes correct. Sense? In my Does second term as chair. Second term. And uh, I'm I also anything? a part-time uh, a chaplain for Dixie uh, uh, Rehab and Hospice. That's right, which is might be your most difficult job of the four. Um, it is also one of the most rewarding. True, true. Um, uh, in helping families walk through um, the end-of-life journey of one of their uh, family members. I just lost my mom, Jimmy, and, and I know that that is greatly appreciated. And that's a, it's a tender time of life as your loved one passes on to the next life. And it is. And, and like so. I say, it can be, um, it, it, look, it's always difficult to lose someone you love. Um, hospice care makes it so much more, uh, uh, takes so much of the pressure off, makes sure that the journey is um, pain-free, best quality of life. Uh, in those last uh, days, weeks, months as possible, and uh, uh, an entire support network for the family uh, up to and then even after uh, the passing of their loved one. Now, you as, as a pastor deal with uh, good and evil. That, that is a central theme of, of you know, the scriptures of religion, good versus evil. Uh, and, and we made a comment after we, as we were going into break that making a deal, um, Joe Biden making a deal with all... I just dropped something. Making a deal with uh, with these uh, far left wingers is almost like making a deal with the devil. Uh, is that fair to say? I, I'm kind of hesitant to, hesitant to use the word evil or devil when it comes to things like that because I don't want to classify a, a certain group or certain people that way. But and yet there it is, Jimmy. Well, let me clarify that uh, I know a, a lot of I know a lot of Democrats. I. I have friends who are Democrats who are not evil people. Right. I do not believe that Joe Biden is an evil person. I believe that the policies that he is advocating for or has accepted as part of this deal to run for president are very evil. I believe partial birth abortion is uh, one of the greatest evils of our time. And, I'm with you. You know, we, you know one thing the left has been uh, very vocal about is trying to judge uh, the past on their present view of what is uh, good or right. Well, uh, in years in the future, they're going to look back at this portion of American history and say, uh, uh, what, how could such a people who brought liberty and freedom to more people around the globe uh, without uh, uh, exercising that power to uh, dominate or harm others, but to lift them into freedom and liberty and prosperity, how could they kill millions of their own every single year? 
that is evil. Yeah. Now, we, as a pastor, as someone who uh, believes strongly that uh, God tells us what good and evil is and what mm-hmm. it looks like, I can look at that and say, it's not convenience, it's evil. I believe that when you talk about the United States of America, which uh, uh, has brought liberty and freedom and lifted more people out of poverty uh, than any system of government in the history of mankind. And when you say that government needs to be dismantled and our Constitution needs to be uh, 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 redone and tossed out um, and though free speech and freedom of religion, uh, these things are no longer acceptable and our history is no longer viewable i think those policies are evil sean Sean hannity says this is going to be the most important election maybe in the history of our country and certainly in in this in you know in the last hundred years um i hate to do it jimmy but let me do a what if what if joe biden wins well i mean if joe biden wins this election uh, then there are certain things that we can say are going to be for certain. One is uh, millions of jobs, millions and millions of jobs in the American energy sector are going to disappear. Hmm. Uh, energy costs are going to uh, quadruple in a very short amount of time. We're talking electricity. We're talking gasoline. We're talking uh, heating oil, yeah. uh, oil uh, you know, gas for, for your, gas, yeah. to heat your homes. All forms of energy are the enemy in this new uh, uh, Democrat platform. Um, you're going to be, and not only are you going to have those increased costs, which will greatly increase the cost of food and everything else you do, because now transportation costs to get your food and your products to you are going to go up. Uh, these things, uh, in addition to that, you're going to have less money in your paycheck every single paycheck because taxes taxes are going to go up um and again um there are a variety of issues that they want to uh uh, attack liberty freedom this whole movement to uh, uh defund or reallocate police funds to use joe's own words um is uh simply a setup that if you have enough anarchy if you allow enough uh, uh, lawlessness to go on the streets. Eventually, the people will break and cry out for help. And if you've Save eliminated me. local yeah. police departments and state uh, uh, sheriff's offices in the county, then uh, then you're setting yourself up for the quote solution from the left to be a national police force. And once there's a national police force, which the founders and framers of the Constitution were very much against. Uh, now you put yourself in a position where we are only a step away from a tyranny wow. and uh, a, a federal police force. Uh, China. China, <laughs> Russia, like China. Uh, any other communist uh, country, uh, Venezuela, uh, any of the Cuba. You know, when you get to the place where there's a national police force under a, uh, a, a single uh, uh, ruling group, small group of leaders... Uh, now liberty is uh, gone. That's scary, Jimmy. Are you, are you trying to scare me? You- <laughs> no, I, I, I'm trying to tell you what uh, uh, these policies inevitably lead to. You know, this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. One of the things about being able to study history is we can see where these policies have been advocated for 
all over the globe over the course of uh, uh, hundreds of years, and every single time a country has chosen the path that the Democrat Party currently wants to take us on, right. uh, uh, liberty disappeared and tyranny prevailed. That Yeah, wow. Ronald Reagan said we're just one generation away from losing uh, the liberty and freedom that we take for granted, and that will happen the moment we take it for granted. You know, we say what you want about President Trump, but he hasn't brought that stuff up yet. And I don't know, is that something he's saving for when we get down to the nitty-gritty, that all these things that they want to happen are what's going to happen to America? Or is he? Is it dangerous for him to talk that way? I, I think that you'll probably, see, uh, uh, you'll probably see ads that point in that direction, maybe not directly from the campaign, but from other uh, uh, organizations. You know, we haven't even really gotten into the whole advertising of the campaign from either yeah. uh, uh, side. Uh, that normally starts up in what September, um, and and sir, I certainly hope so. If we don't, you know, President Trump has begun to contrast the difference between his policies and Joe's, and that is uh, uh, the most effective way uh, that he is going to uh, be reelected, and that's to to actually take Joe Biden at his teleprompter's word. 